This, this is the mop-up for November 3rd, 2023. I'm David Feldman. Please like this episode so I stay in your feed. And do me a favor by sharing it with your friends via social media or an email and subscribe to this channel as well as my newsletter. Leave a comment. I read all your comments. You know that I read all your comments because you give me ideas, information, and you you correct me. President Biden called on Fox News host Jesse Waters to apologize for saying on Wednesday, quote, I'm fed up with Arabs and the entire Muslim world. Waters made those comments during his nightly primetime show on Fox called Jesse Waters is fed up with Arabs and the entire Muslim world. After a month-long trial, the California Bar Association ruled that John Eastman is guilty of misconduct and ethics violations for the role he played in the events leading up to January 6th. Eastman is the lawyer whose memos helped devise the phony elector scheme, as well as the phony argument for why Mike Pence didn't have to certify the 2020 presidential election on January 6. There are reports that even after the insurrection, while Mike Pence was preparing to go back into the Capitol to resume the count, John Eastman was still sending him emails urging Mike Pence not to certify the election for Joe Biden. The next phase of Eastman's disbarment trial is determining whether to strip him of his law license. Eastman, a close friend of Clarence and Ginny Thomas, is one of 19 co-defendants, along with Donald Trump in the Fulton County, Georgia election interference RICO trial. On Thursday in New York City, a courtroom uh, a, a courtroom uh, was filled with Donald Trump and Eric Trump. They squared off for a double bill testimony in the blockbuster $250 million fraud trial filed against the Trump organization. Brother against brother, a story of biblical proportions. It was Cain and unable. The story of Cain and unable. The two sons displayed different temperaments while they were on the stand. Don Jr. calmly blamed the Trump Organization's lawyers and accountants for the false numbers on the Trump Organization's financial statements, while a more combative Eric Trump blamed prosecutors for making such a big deal about not telling the truth. Ivanka Trump lost a last-minute appeal last late Thursday night and was ordered to appear in this trial. Meanwhile, she's asked the judge to postpone her testimony because prosecutors want her to show up in the middle of a school week, and that would create what she called an undue hardship. By the way, growing up, undue hardship is also what Ivanka felt every time she sat on her father's lap. Hey, Ivanka, why don't you bring the kids to court with you? Have them go over Grandpa's books, and this way they can take a crash course in fuzzy math. Do you know one and one is sometimes two, but often it can be four billion? 
Ivanka's children love Grandpa's bedtime stories, like Goldilocks and the Three Billion Bears, and of course, One Fish, Two Fish, 300 million fish. Some people say possibly triple that, maybe even as many as a two billion fish, because these are the Mona Lisa's of fish. Is it my imagination or is Ivanka starting to look like a blow up doll designed in Thailand by a 70 year old asexual virgin? Jesus. Since the appeals court ruled, She must appear. Ivanka Trump is scheduled to testify next Wednesday. And we're going to learn that when it comes to business acumen, she's just like her dad, lacking. Donald Trump Sr. is scheduled to testify Tuesday. Ivanka is scheduled the next day. So Donald uh, is opening for Ivanka as opposed to Donald's fantasy. Ivanka opening for him. Trump's appearance will be crucial in resolving some unanswered questions left over from Don Jr.'s and Eric Trump's testimony. The most pressing question left unanswered being, how is it possible that Don Jr. and Eric could be this financially illiterate? I think when we hear Donald Trump testify next week, we'll go, oh, okay, I get it. Okay. Some say Eric beat out brother Don Jr. in the Whose Brain is Filled with More Lead Paint Chips competition when during his Thursday testimony, he refused to answer a question by citing his Fifth Avenue rights. Eric was asked why his father's financials claimed Briarcliff Manor, a project that Eric was developing, had been valued at $291 million dollars when in fact it had been appraised at being worth no more than $50 million. Eric claimed he had no idea about the inflated values of these properties, adding, I can barely explain the inflated values of my own self-worth. He went on to say, I mean, I know I'm an idiot, but then I start talking and something happens, and I start believing my own lies and convince myself I, I deserve to be heard. That's what he said. Or maybe I misread the transcript of the trial last night. I think that's what I read. Okay, he didn't say that. But what he did say is, quote, I don't focus on appraisals. I focus on construction, unquote. Eric tried to present himself as working in construction. The construction worker from the village people has worked more job sites than the charlatan. Construction. Eric Trump can't even construct a coherent sentence. Then the New York State Attorney General presented a series of emails proving that Eric had been informed that the appraisals for Briarcliff Manor differed from what the Trump Organization inflated it to be on their financial statements, but he did nothing to correct it. It was a blockbuster moment, Eric admitted when presented with the evidence that, yes, it it definitely runs counter to my testimony. Eric said, quote, I see your emails, and yes, absolutely, I made a couple of calls. I was clearly involved, but to a very small point, and I think I was very clear, I had very limited memory. I had very limited memory. Ah, yes, the old... I have a very limited memory because I inherited my father's stupid gene 
defense. He got the stupid gene from his father. Donald Trump's oldest adult childlike child who never had to grow up finished up his testimony on Thursday in the $250 million civil trial in which he, Don Jr., his father and brother, have already been found guilty of defrauding lenders in order to secure favorable loans on their properties. Jr. has been with his father's company since 2001, but his testimony during the past two days revealed he had little to no understanding of how the business's financial structure actually worked. Well, you know what they say, like father, like turd. Junior claimed he relied on others to assess the financial condition of the company, and then he just signed whatever they put in front of him without really reading what they put together. I believe back at Wharton, it's called trust, but why bother to verify? I think that's what they teach at Wharton. Junior seems to want it both ways. He insists that he was intimately involved in the day-to-day operations of the Trump Organization, while at the same time had no idea of the day-to-day operations of the Trump Organization. So basically, Don Jr. is a big picture guy if the big picture has been hung facing the wall. Junior said the documents he signed were prepared by people who he was assured knew what they were doing. So basically, he didn't even know what he was doing when he depended on people who knew what they were doing, supposedly. Putting the deals together, understanding the intricacies of the deals, not his expertise. That's not his role in the Trump organization. So when it comes to the Trump organization, what exactly does Don Jr. bring to the table other than a mirror and seven rails of Adderall? Good question. Well, when pressed on why he just signed his name to documents that he didn't prepare, read, or understand, Jr. shot back, quote, that's the job of the accountants. It's what we pay them to do, unquote. So what is Junior paid to do? Well, try not to pay the accountants. That's what he's paid to do, as well as cheat the accountants, belittle the accountants so they charge less than they normally would to commit fraud. Essentially, Junior is a big idea guy. It's his responsibility to think as big as possible, to be creative when it comes to inflating his family's net worth. For example, it was Junior's idea to come up with the idea that Daddy should claim he was worth $8.5 billion instead of just $8 billion because $8.5 sounds more precise, more realistic, more believable. The head of whipped cream on that boy's shoulders. He truly is an invaluable asset inside the Trump organization. And God help God help his father when it comes time to negotiate Don Jr.'s salary. Word is, when it comes to negotiating with Daddy, he's a tough negotiator. For example, Jr. recently threatened that he's received other offers. For example, Wilbur Ross has put out feelers about adopting him as a son. 
Jared Kushner said his new investment firm could use some help, and he might be interested in adopting John Don Jr. as a son. And then Jr. told his dad that he's thinking of starting his own phony real estate company that he can run all by himself, and he's been seriously thinking about adopting himself as his own son. So clearly, Don Jr. has plenty of options. A lot of people want him as their son, except, of course, his own father. During Thursday's testimony, Jr. insisted, despite not knowing the financial details of the business, his knowledge of the day-to-day operation of the Trump Organization were, quote, quite intimate. Asked for an example of how intimate, Jr. said, well, after a lunch of two Big Macs, a quarter pounder, and fries, my father often chooses me to run upstairs to the apartment and fetch him a fresh pair of underwear. (laughs) Quite intimate. Quite intimate. Before Wednesday's testimony, the media was allowed in the room to take photos, and Don Jr. smiled, told the judge, I should have worn makeup. So on Thursday, as the cameras once again started flashing, the judge asked if Jr. remembered to wear makeup this time. And then a frightened Jr. whipped out a rolled-up dollar bill and asked for permission to powder his nose. Not sure that's putting on makeup. Prosecutors asked Donald Trump Jr. if he ever worried that he was putting a signature on documents that were illegal, which they were. They were fraudulent. But Don Jr. said he had no idea they were fraudulent. It wasn't his job to determine if they were fraudulent. It was his job to put his name on the documents to assure lenders that he had reviewed the documents personally and as executive vice president of the Trump Organization has certified with said signature under the penalty of law that everything in these documents was not fraudulent. But even if he has no idea whether they were fraudulent, which they most certainly were, we all know he knew they were fraudulent. That's why he never bothered to read them. He would say to the accountants, I trust you. I know these are fraudulent. I don't need to check your work. I know you committed fraud. I'm just going to sign these because we're all on the honor system. We're all on the honor system here. If you say you committed fraud, I'm going to take you at your word. On Thursday, Junior testified once again that he had absolutely no knowledge of what was inside these financial documents that he put his name to. Asked if he worried about signing documents that were fraudulent, he said he relied on his father's legal department to assure him the documents were okay to sign. His father's legal department. And as we all know, Donald Trump Sr. only surrounds himself with nothing but the most sober of legal authorities like Michael Cohen, Roy Cohen, or Rudy Giuliani, who told Junior, either your signature or your brains are going to be all over this document. So what's it going to be? Now sign it. Legal department, like the Trump organization has, they have an illegal department. Donald Trump Sr. shops for lawyers like Don Jr. shops for doctors. Eventually, you'll find one who gives you precisely what you ask for.
We learned on Thursday that when he was elected president, Donald Trump Sr. put Jr. in charge of a revocable trust that contained Don Sr.'s entire fortune, all $12 worth. During the four years of his father's presidency, it fell upon Don Jr. to put his name to Sr.'s financial documents and attest, under penalty of law, that every lie, every half-truth, misstatement of fact, over-inflation of worthless properties, Brigadoon-like licensing deals, imaginary franchise fees, and totally concocted streams of income were under the penalty of law as actual and real as the caps on Don Jr.'s teeth. How could Jr. not know these documents were falsified? Mar-a-Lago is not worth half a billion Dollars, Don Jr., it's as clear as the white powder on the nose on your face. On Thursday, the attorney for the prosecution asked again to make sure she was getting all this straight. She said, so you're telling us that during each year of your father's presidency, you signed his financial disclosures, assuring the world that everything in there was true but you never bothered to read them and you had no idea what was inside, but you signed them anyway. Junior nodded his head and said, yes. Then the attorney asked, okay, in 2017, Don Jr. said, yes. The attorney asked, 2018? And an impatient, petulant Don Jr. responded, there was no need to ask about each year. Quote, rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat. I think we can save each other a lot of time and effort. Yes, it would be the same answer to your question. Rinse and repeat, you arrogant, talentless, unoriginal prick. I think we could save each other a lot of time and effort if... We don't read the documents or try to understand what's in them. Just sign them. Rinse and repeat. Rinse and repeat. I think we could all just save a lot of time and effort if instead of trying to make it on my own, I just go to work for my father straight out of college and never have to worry about where my next meal is coming from. Just save a lot of time. Rinse and repeat. This is what tax cuts for the rich leaves us with. Morons, arrogant morons like Donald Trump Jr. Republican policy is let's get rid of the inheritance tax. Rich people should be able to leave all their wealth to their children. But this is what you end up with. Donald Trump Jr. to the manor born with absolutely no manners. He is, Don Jr. is every child of wealthy parents who ends up going into the family business. However, to Donald Trump Jr.'s credit, unlike other heirs, he did not wreck the family business because there was nothing left to wreck. Don Sr. destroyed it before Jr. even arrived on the crime scene. The truth about Donald Trump Sr. is Fred Trump 
his father gave Don, Donald Trump, the business, along with $250 million. And Donald Trump drove that business into bankruptcy, not once, not twice, six times. And then he dissipated the entire $250 million fortune that was left to him. The truth about Donald Trump is, had he not tried to do business, had he left the $250 million he inherited, if he just left it alone, put half of it in an index fund that mimics the stock market and then divided the other half, buying bonds, cash, maybe some real estate, and then didn't touch it over the decades, he'd really be worth several billion dollars. Donald Trump Sr. wanted to be a big shot. He wanted to prove Fred Trump wrong. He wanted to show him, no, I'm not an idiot, daddy. So he let his entire inheritance and the business ride on his ego. He ended up losing it all six times. What keeps Donald Trump going is he was blessed with a deep and severe kind of mental illness that refuses to be tempered by its own pathology. He's one of those rare sociopaths gifted with a generalized anxiety that fuels his delusions of grandeur and keeps him chugging along, grasping and stealing while lying to himself and others. He is blessed in that way. Donald Trump was put on this planet to exhaust everything and everyone. His friends, his relatives, his tangible assets. But his mental illness makes it impossible for him to exhaust himself. He is, Donald Trump is, an unstoppable infestation of roundworms, multiplying, growing, Drinking the blood of others, especially his wife, his wives and children. And he only ceases to exist when there's nobody else left to feast upon. So Junior was asked about a financial statement that he signed, falsely claiming that his daddy's triplex inside Trump Tower was worth more than $300 million. Once again, Junior said, I never read the document. When he was asked about an email from Forbes magazine asking him to verify the value of his daddy's triplex so they could prepare their annual list of the 400 richest, Junior petulantly answered, it's not worth my time to respond to a series of questions from Forbes magazine. It's not worth Don Jr.'s time to to talk to Forbes magazine, the same magazine his father handed out instead of his financial statements to lenders as proof that he could afford to buy the Buffalo Bills. He said, you don't need to see my tax returns. Look, I'm in Forbes. Don Jr. said Thursday, I don't have time to answer questions from Forbes. Apparently, if you're Donald Trump Jr., trying to sign your name on documents you've never read can be rather time-consuming. I don't have time. 
Judge Angeron announced a break for lunch. And as Don Jr. hopped off the stand, he reportedly walked past a courtroom sketch artist and said, quote, make me look sexy. There he goes again, ordering someone to commit fraud. And that was it. Lawyers for Trump said they saw Lawyers for Donald Trump Jr. said they saw no need to cross-examine the witness since, like everyone in the room, they were sick of the sound of his voice. You know, the Supreme Court says corporations are people. And after Don Jr.'s testimony, I think they're right. Donald Trump Jr., just like the Trump Organization, is a complete fraud. I can't tell the difference. I can't tell the difference. And then, as I said earlier, it was time for baby brother Eric to take the stand after the bailiff spent 45 minutes trying to figure out how to adjust the booster seat. State attorney Andrew Amir announced, quote, the people call Eric Trump. He left out the last part. The people call Eric Trump a worthless idiot. But they did say that the people call Eric Trump. Nobody calls Eric Trump. This is the mop-up for November 3rd, 2023. I'm David Feldman. Please like this episode so I stay in your feed. Share it with your friends. And uh, do it on email, social media. Subscribe to my channel and my newsletter. Leave a comment. I read all your comments because you give me ideas, information, and you correct me. And now I'm going to take a sip of water. Well, on Thursday, Speaker Mike Johnson was able to pass an Israeli aid package that has no chance of passing in the Senate because it offsets the $14.3 billion in aid to Israel by slashing $14.3 billion from the Internal Revenue Service, because that's how you pay for things, not being able to collect what's owed to the government. Republicans purport to be the party of big business, and anyone who's ever run a business knows the number one way to improve your bottom line, get rid of the accounts receivable department. The government's fiscal year starts on October 1st. That's when there's supposed to be a budget that starts paying for fiscal year 2024. Now, you would think it would start on January 1st, 2024, but they decided it would be October 1st, 2023, so they could buy an extra three months operating on continuing resolutions without anyone noticing there's no budget for 2024. I mean, when you hear there's still no budget for 2024, the first thing you think is, well, of course not. It's still 2023. That's where they start 2024 in October of 2023, so nobody realizes there's no budget. There's no budget. The government is paying its bills by operating on what is called a continuing resolution, and that expires on November 17th. We are, what is it, the third? So we're, what, 14 days away from a government shutdown. During his first press conference as speaker, and hopefully his last, 
Mike Johnson said he's thinking of trying to ladder the shutdowns after November 17th. Ladder the shutdowns. This is a new idea. Uh, in other words, there are 12 bills. Uh, the, the appropriations process, the budget process, was established in 1974. They passed new laws and they came up with the, the system Congress is operating under right now. So there are 12 bills each year that comprise the federal budget. Johnson, I guess, is thinking of shutting the government down in a series of 12 steps and then reopening the parts of the government that have been funded through an appropriations bill agreed upon and then signed by President Biden. Mike Johnson has a 12-step program, but the only 12-step program this guy needs is the one to get him off whatever drug that's convincing him this plan would ever work. Like I said, there are 12 appropriations bills that make up the 2024 budget. Laddering, laddering the budget process, I guess, would mean if the Pentagon funding bill passes and is signed into law by Joe Biden, then we get to have an army. But if the bill that funds the FBI and the Justice Department gets bogged down in the House because Jim Jordan and Marjorie Taylor Greene object to the Biden prosecute the the Trump prosecutions, then we don't have an FBI or an attorney general's office. So this is really a demonic plan to destroy the administrative state. No doubt this has been hatched by the Heritage Foundation's Plan 2025. How do you eliminate the Departments of Education or the Environmental Protection Agency? You jam up passage of their appropriations bills. This is what the laddering process would lead to. You, you, there are 12 appropriations bills. You don't pass the ones uh, that fund the part of the government you want permanently shut down. So the rest of the government is operating. But, you know, uh, Department of Education is shut down. What Johnson is essentially proposing is not a shutdown of the entire government. He is proposing a shutdown only of the federal agencies he and his Republicans, his MAGA Republicans, want to eliminate. This is the right-wing plan. They don't want to bundle budget bills together. The problem is they're kind of right about the process, but it's for nefarious ends. They want to pass each budget bill separately. For example, on the $106 billion emergency aid supplemental, they don't want Biden lumping Israel, Ukraine, Taiwan, and border security into one massive, one-and-done, $104 billion emergency spending bill. They think it's undemocratic. They think it prevents senators and members of the House from debating our nation's foreign policy vis-a-vis -vis the individual nations we're going to help or not help. Uh, when you bundle these bills together, it forces members of Congress who may support funding for Israel, but not for Ukraine, to vote for both. So it is a trick by bundling it 
like I've said before, it's like your cable package where you, I only want MSNBC, CNN, and C-SPAN. I don't want to pay for Fox News, but the cable company says, no, 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 it's not a la carte. You got to take the whole bundle. Uh, a, a, these sup, the supplemental is like your cable package. Uh, now, on paper, Johnson's right. On paper, he's right, but he's right for the wrong reasons. It would make for a much more robust and dynamic legislative branch if it were allowed to participate more in America's foreign policy by debating what are called single-subject bills, right? Funding for Ukraine is now on the floor. We're going to debate Ukraine. Okay, funding for Taiwan is now on the floor. We're going to debate Taiwan. When you bundle all of this together, there's no rigorous debate. So as I've pointed out earlier this week, Biden's $106 billion emergency foreign aid supplemental is being sold as a jobs bill. And this is why it's going to end up getting passed. There's a lot of hand-wringing right now. Oh, are the MAGA Republicans going to beat Biden and, and tank the $106 billion emergency foreign aid bill? Well, it's being sold as a jobs bill. McConnell is saying that. He's the Republican minority leader in the Senate. And Biden is saying it's a jobs bill. It's a jobs bill because... You give $106 billion to Israel, Taiwan, Ukraine to purchase weapons. Well, they're going to be buying those weapons, mostly from the United States military industrial complex. So this is why this bundled together cable package is going to be passed, because in the end, the Republican Party is beholden not just to the National Rifle Association, it's beholden to the rest of the arms industry as well. They will satisfy their far-right, Putin-loving wing of the party, okay? They'll kick and scream about funding Ukraine. But the weapons manufacturers want their subsidy, and... Republicans who deny them that will be punished. They'll be primaried. They will not get the committee seats they want. You don't, you do not question the military industrial complex when they want their slice of the pie. So if you're worried about Ukraine not getting the aid it needs, just remember, this isn't about helping Ukraine. We're not giving $60 billion to Ukraine. We're giving $60 billion to Raytheon, Boeing, and Lockheed Martin. The Associated Press reports that before running for public office, Speaker Mike Johnson was dean of a Baptist law school that promised to unashamedly embrace a biblical worldview. The problem is the law school didn't exist, just like it's unashamedly embraced biblical worldview. But when you think about it, does a biblical law school 
really have to truly exist? Couldn't you just say it exists? Tell people if they can't see it, then there's something wrong with them? You know, shame them into seeing it. The law school never materialized, it never opened because it was plagued by incessant internal bickering, accusations of fraud and dishonesty, as one would surely expect from any law school grounded in a biblical worldview. By the end, Mike Johnson was dean of a law school that raised money that got wasted by people with no core principles who hated each other and were completely full of shit, which more than prepared him to lead the Republican House caucus. Let me just disabuse the self-righteous, smarmy huckster we've got for a speaker. Let me just disabuse him of the notion that he is on the side of angels. Anyone who forces a teenager to carry her uncle's child to term, who is put into writing why he thinks homosexuality should be criminalized, wants to cut food stamps and Medicaid and close the border to migrants, while at the same time insists the solution to school shootings is more guns? Let me disabuse this backwater Louisiana hick that he is anything but a Christian. I'm a better Christian than this prick, and I'm not even a Christian. On the plus side, Speaker Mike Johnson is the reason hell doesn't exist, because Satan doesn't want him. Satan doesn't want him. He took one look at Mike Johnson, closed shop, put a sign on the door and said, gone fishing. I'm sorry, did I say Satan is a he? Well, I apologize, that's sexist. Satan is a she. I know that because we dated in between my third and fourth marriages. What do you mean you don't want to go to second base on a first date? You're Satan. A New York jury on Thursday found Sam Bankman-Fried, the cryptocurrency king, guilty of fraud. The New York jury said they found Donald Trump guilty of fraud as well. But the judge said, I didn't ask you about that. And the foreman for the jury said, I know, but we figured as long as we're handing out guilty verdicts, we might as well weigh in on that other one as, as well. After the verdict, <laughs> Freed's, that's not true. After the verdict, uh, Sam Beckman Freed's combative defense attorney, Mark Cohen, stood behind a bank of microphones and said his client is innocent. This is a miscarriage of justice, and I will continue to fight to prove it until Freed can no longer afford my bills. Freed is likely to be sentenced to 110 years in prison, but because he's white and his parents are rich, he'll do maybe 16 months, and then get pardoned the day after Joe Biden is reelected. That's usually how these things play out. The FBI raided the home of New York City Mayor Eric Adams' top fundraiser, looking for evidence that the mayor broke campaign finance laws two years ago when he accepted illegal campaign contributions from the nation of Turkey. So, the mayor has a problem with foreigners entering our city, but he's okay with their campaign cash coming in. 
Interesting. If you remember, our mayor this past summer traveled all the way to Mexico to meet with migrants to tell them, don't come here. Don't come to New York City. He said, there's no room. As the Statue of Liberty reads, give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to make an illegal campaign contribution to our city's mayor. So all you have to do is just donate to his campaign and then you're welcomed with open arms. But he says there's no room here in New York City. No room. Half the office buildings are empty. All the restaurants, you can get a table at any restaurant. Restaurants are doing horrible business, but there's no room for the migrants. The new speaker, Mike Johnson, is blaming Roe v. Wade for our country not having enough able-bodied workers to increase our tax base to support Social Security, Medicare, and Medicaid. You want to increase our tax base with able-bodied workers? Welcome the migrants who row and wade across the Rio Grande. But there's no room for migrants because too many abortions. Huh? No room for migrants because too many abortions. Millions of jobs go unfilled in America because there's no room. Because too many abortions. The messaging is just so satanic and wrong. And for for the mayor of New York City, we've got an empty city with no tax base, but there's no room for the migrants. Never learned the multiplier effect? Didn't you ever take an economics class about the multiplier effect? You give a migrant $1.00. And they spend it like a thousand times. It multiplies a thousand times in the city. They buy milk. The people they buy the milk from pay the delivery truck guy who pays for gas. And the gas pays for what? It, that's the multiplier effect. You want, you want to rescue New York City? You take the migrants in. You give them a little money to spread around and you got a booming economy. But, you know, economics 101, the multiplier effect, why bother learning that when you can just be bigoted and xenophobic and get elected trashing the most vulnerable people in the world. I'm David Feldman reminding you to stay strong and protect the weak. This was a Israel-free, Gaza-free episode I'm probably going to do catch up on that probably on Saturday. Uh, Anyway, Um, please like this episode. Please, please share it with your friends. Please subscribe to my channel and my newsletter. Please leave comments and uh I know I'm forgetting something. Thank you to everybody in the chat room. Thank you for the mods. Thank you, Bob, for moderating if you're here. And I will see everybody, I hope, uh, November 4th, 2023 at 12.05 a.m. I'm going to try for 12.05 a.m. Thank you for listening to me. 